figured that it was time to get back into James chapter 5 again. There's so much there for us to learn. And so I'm going to encourage you to join me there, please. James chapter 5. Today I I was thinking that maybe we should look at verse number uh, 14. At least start on verse number 14. That's where I have uh, my material ready for us here today. We subscribe to a service that gives us the bulletin covers for our bulletin. So I get a box of those every quarter, and and uh, we just pull them out as they come. And you'll notice Easter is usually lined up with Easter and, and uh, those kind of holidays. We, we see the bulletins do that. They design it that way. But it just so happens, did you see the front cover? Now, that wasn't manipulated in any way. I think that's wonderful. What a great verse this is. And that's what we've been looking at. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And we are in that chapter. We're in that section, that paragraph. And so I thought, what a great title for the bulletin cover today. But on the back, I keep room for your sermon notes if you're interested in that. And you see our topic here today is the prayer of faith. Prayer is a challenging thing, isn't it? It sounds so easy. It really, in a sense, it is very easy. But it also is very challenging. It's that kind of thing that the more you do it, the more you realize you need to do it. And uh, the more detailed it becomes in your life and more disciplined. I was thinking, Paul, as you shared with us yesterday and this morning as well, to get up at 4 o'clock in the morning to pray, as you have the students do at the school, uh, 4 o'clock in the morning, I don't know if that's your discipline or not, 4 o'clock in the morning. I was thinking about that last night. I'm thinking, 4 o'clock in the morning. Well, this morning, it happened to have been 4 o'clock, when the cat startled me, uh, you open your eyes and this cat face is right here in front of you. And that, that's a, what a wonderful way to wake up. Little Greta just had her way. But, but she's staring right into my face. And I looked over and saw it was 4 o'clock. And I thought, well, maybe it's a good time to pray. And so I, I started in on that. But I found out a couple of lessons. One. Lying horizontally on a pillow under a blanket and praying is not a good mix. It usually leads to what happened. And that was, I think the Lord is gracious and merciful and kind, and he understands at times we fall asleep. And so it wasn't long. I don't know how long it was, but it, was lo- it wasn't long enough. And I had already dozed right back off. And I thought, well, that's not, that's not so uncommon, I think. Some people do that. Um, sometimes we train ourselves to do that, to tell the truth, uh, to fall asleep during our prayers. Like if it's your bedtime prayer, uh, you might be praying and fall asleep or such like that. I had a song leader in the church when I first started in the ministry who fell asleep during his offertory prayer, his offertory prayer. It, it was quite a comical sight. I was sitting right behind him, and he's up here praying And he fell asleep and hit his head on the podium and woke back up. And uh, no one knew it but me. 
because he he was almost without any hitch to that, and he he woke back up and kept on going, and I nearly fell out of my chair. It was just so funny to hear it. But uh, we talked about that a lot for about four years. We talked about that one. I don't know about you, but prayer is challenging. It does take discipline. We know that. That's our context here. But mix it with the issue we call faith. Our study is living faith. Right? That's where we are in the book of James. It's a study of living faith. And prayer cannot be separated from that. Because prayer is talking to the one whom you are trusting. And that's why we trust him. Because he leads us in this life, a living faith. And we must trust him. And prayer is essential to that. So James is not giving us something unique or new or anything to the context. Because if you go all the way back to James chapter number 1, he had already been on this topic, this issue of prayer. You know verse number 2 in James 1, Consider it joy, all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith, he's on faith right away, the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect results, so that you may be perfect and lacking, and complete lacking in nothing. And if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. What's the one word that sums up, let him ask of God? Prayer. You see how quickly it moved from faith to prayer. Let him ask of God, who gives to all men generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask how? In faith, without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. And that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. Wow, this is a tough spot. That's an interesting set of verses, isn't it? But you see the value of prayer. Prayer in faith. The prayer of faith. Here we are in chapter 5. We're studying the context, especially verse 13 through 16. So follow it along with me. Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. If anyone cheerful, he is to sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in what? Faith. Will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another, so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Lord, we are into this passage and we're pretty deep into it at this point. There's much for us to learn and we're so thankful for your word that you have recorded these things for us to study. And even when they are challenging, sometimes in their words and phrases, sometimes in the actual activity that they call for, the discipline of prayer, the discipline of faith, and when you put those two things together, Lord, we come back to you again and say, we are very needy people. We are needy people, and we're dependent upon you. And so we pray today, as you teach us from your word, that you might challenge us again with it. 
open our eyes to who we are in Christ, what you've called us to be, and help us, Lord, to take these things and apply them to our lives today. We do want to see the difference your word makes in each and every one of our lives. And thank you, Lord, for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, it's been a month since we've been in this passage, James chapter 5. And we've actually been on this for 19 weeks already, prior to now. 19 weeks of studying James chapter 5. And that's a lot of study in one little chapter. But we're not even halfway through yet. We've got a long ways to go to understand this chapter well. Now, I am, I confess, being very deliberate. On purpose, I am going carefully through this study. I want to, even to the point of repeating things, and I don't mind repeating things. I hope you don't mind I repeat things. I need to repeat things uh, because that's how we learn. That's how we learn it best. We're not just taking a splash here and moving on to another topic. We want to know this. This is what our faith should look like. That's why we're studying it like we are, and I'm doing it very slowly on purpose. Um, Because this is not something we just hear. This is something we learn to do. Isn't that what James calls the believer to do? Not just be hearers of the Word, but to be doers of the Word. And that's what we want to be, doers. And to do it, we've got to know it. And so, we are going to take our time. We began this particular study... um, on prayer right here in verse number 13 especially. But today we go to verse 14, and I don't believe we're going to cover all of verse 14 today. There is a lot to verse 14. You just heard it read. You just heard it read, and some of you have a thousand questions. There's not even a thousand words in there, but we got a thousand questions. Like, what and how and do we and huh? You know, and those kind of things. Especially like, what kind of oil? I don't know what what all the questions might be. I do know that as I've been going through different sources to study up on this, I said, wow, we're going to need about three years to cover this verse. I I think we might. It's it's a doozy. In the commentaries, it's a doozy. All right, so we're going to see what we can do with this. But it is the examination of living faith. And I am purposely trying to stay in the context. The context of this verse, the context of this book, the context of James's day. I'm purposely trying to keep us there so that we can understand what this is trying to say. There are dangers when you go to the little parts of the verse and forget the context. Because then you start working just from what you, you're in front of you and you miss the big picture. But there's also dangers of just looking at the big picture and not looking at the little parts. So, if you don't mind, well, you don't have a choice, but that's the route we're on. We're looking at big picture and little parts and trying to keep them all together. So, allow me just to bring your thoughts up to speed where we are. Confess your faults to one another, verse 16 started. Pray for one another that you may be healed. Those are intriguing words to us. But it follows the effective, King James words, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. We've been working on that 
as you've noticed, I've been coming to, back to that every other Sunday to keep working on that verse, and we'll do that again next week. Um, the previous verses that we have studied are not separate from what we're learning here. There is one challenging part of prayer that I think all of us know very well, and it leaves us uncomfortable at times. It leaves us uh, maybe frustrated at times. It leaves us doubtful at times. And that is the word waiting. Because when we lift our request before the Lord, we must wait for His answer. Does that come immediately? It could. But usually? No. Waiting is hard. Don't we know it? In an era like ours, where everything should be real quick, you get frustrated if you're two cars behind in the drive-thru. You say, what's this? I've got to wait for two people. Every now and then, I try to pull out of my driveway, and there's a car coming by. And I say, what's this? A traffic jam in Hillsdale. We want things now. The Lord says... Be patient, be patient, strengthen your heart, and don't complain. You know that too, don't you? That is not separate from the issue of prayer. Because we must trust Him. And trust is trusting what He is doing as well. When you don't know the answer, when you wait for the answer, when you, when you want to take the next step but you're not sure what that is, you wait on Him. What is the verse in Isaiah 40, verse 31? Anyone know it? They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run, not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. You know it. That word wait is such a cool word. When I was saying that, reading that up, I was thinking, oh, that means something like, wait, wait, wait. Actually, if you get into the depths of that Hebrew word, it means to entwine. Here's a picture. Those who entwine themselves around the Lord shall find new strength. Think of a plant that's trying to climb up, and it has the ability to wrap itself around a pole to to grow up. If you take the pole out, what happens? It falls over. Because the pole is its strength. It has entwined itself around the thing that gave it strength. Picture that next time you look at the verse. Those who wait on the Lord, they have entwined themselves around Him, and He is their strength. That's how they mount up with wings. That's how they run without getting weary. That's how they walk without getting faint. It's because it's the Lord's strength. That is trust. That is trust. And that's the word we're looking at here. When we talk about prayer, we're talking about a prayer of faith, as we saw there in verse number 15 as well. It is dependence. It's being patient. And being patient. And having a strong heart while you do it. And stop complaining. 
stop complaining. We're trying to produce reliance upon God here. So when we pray, we know that we're needy. We know that we must go to another to meet that need. We know that God is able to meet that need. That's why we go to Him. We ask Him to be willing to meet that need. And we trust Him with the answer. Now, which of those five is the hardest? Would it not be the last one? We trust Him with the answer. We trust Him with the answer. Now, I give you all that. Those are key to understanding when we get into verse number 14. Because the issue is still prayer. The issue is still prayer. It's part of that big, important sentence we're looking at here. Prayer. We've already studied prayer a little bit when we got into verse 16. When we talked about that effective prayer. Remember, that's the guy who's urgently begging. That's the word for it. Urgently begging. And it's effective because we use the word fervent. It's got a passionate intensity to it. It's heartfelt. It's earnest. It's intent. It's continuous. It's it's modified with very strong words here on purpose. Because it's meant to be that way. The opposite, the direct opposite of this kind of prayer is apathy. That's a person who doesn't care. I'd hate to swing that way, wouldn't you? This is a passionate prayer, an energizing prayer, some call it, the working prayer, the fervent prayer. It's the fire and the sacrifice kind of prayer. It doesn't work being horizontal laying on a pillow. Four o'clock in the morning when you're so easily going to fall right back to sleep. You guys get them out of bed. That's a good idea. That's a great idea. A fervent prayer. A fervent prayer. All right. This is in front of us. It's a spiritual activity that we're called to do. It is something that uh, marks the believer's trust. It marks your trust. Now, moving to this section, you see... Is anyone among you sick? We understand that passage right there, don't we? You say, okay, yeah. We understand sick. There's a lot more to it, which we're not going to cover today. But we're going to the second phrase, that he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him. I'm going to leave off the last part, too, for a minute. They are to pray over him. Speaking a prayer louder does not make it fervent. Speaking a prayer longer does not make it fervent. Speaking a prayer with larger words does not make it fervent. It's praying in the Holy Spirit that makes it fervent. Praying God's way that makes it fervent. How do you think leaders of a church ought to pray? Think about that for a minute. 
How should leaders pray? The verse says, call the elders, right? So they can do what? Pray. Pray over you. Do you want them to pray fervently? According to the will of God? Do you want them to pray expectantly? Do you want them to pray by faith? I think you do. I think you do. Because that's what we're all called to do. Aren't we? Which one of us is told, oh, let the elders do it for you? You got a prayer request, make them do it. I want to walk through this carefully with you today because I believe this is important to us. I read to you a quote I read to you a couple of weeks ago, or a month ago now, by Thomas Manton, written way back years ago, hundreds of years ago. He says, It is no easy thing to pray and to work a lazy dead heart into a necessary height of affections. The weights are always running downward. But they are wound up by force. Psalm 25, 1 says, I lift up my heart to thee. With our affection, when our affections are gotten up, it is hard to keep them up. Like Moses' hands, they soon flag and wax faint. A bird cannot stay in the air without a continual flight. The motion and labor, of, or the, and the motion of wings. Neither can we persist in prayer without constant work and labor. Our faith is so weak that we are hardly brought into God's presence, and our love is so small that we are hardly kept there. Affections flag, and then our thoughts are scattered. Weariness makes its way for wandering. First our hearts are gone, then our minds, so that we have need of much laboring and diligence. All acts of duty are drawn from us by a holy force. I thought, wow, he must have been watching us to have written such a thing. Or maybe it's just me. Maybe it's not you. But the Spirit is here to assist us in our prayers. We read that in Romans 8. Verse number 26 says, In the same way the Spirit helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should. I think that's great. Paul just called our weakness out. What is it? Prayer. The Spirit helps with our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. According to the will of God. I'll make two simple observations here, for starters. If prayer is something that has divine importance, then we must depend upon the Holy Spirit to pray. We cannot pray apart from Him, can we? Well, should we? I say that on purpose. Because I think sometimes we do pray apart from Him, don't we? We let our words be what we want them to be. We, we do it our way. We, we express our desires, and then we go and try to do it ourselves. But we're talking about a dependence here, a dependence in his life. We have him within us as believers, and we already know what he's supposed to do. 
And this kind of prayer is just showing you depend upon Him. You trust Him. You follow Him. You walk with Him. Prayer must be dependent upon the Holy Spirit. And so our union with Him is important too. Because our union with Him is not just our position in Christ, but our practice. Our practice. We are called to walk by the Spirit on Sunday mornings only. Now, some of you are listening. Very good. We are told to walk by the Spirit how? Always. Continuously. Walk by the Spirit and you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. Right? We studied that before. I don't know how we're going to have that kind of relationship with the Holy Spirit if we don't walk with Him. You say, but my prayers just are flat all the time. I don't know what to say. Have you considered your relationship with Him? Practically speaking. Are you walking with the Spirit? Why am I saying all these things? Because who are you to call in this verse to pray for you? Go back to it. The elders. Do you have expectations of your elders? Do you expect them to walk by the Spirit? Yes. Do you expect them to be praying according to the Spirit? I think you should. Why? Well, because they're elders. No, because they're examples. Primarily, leadership is not from the top down. Leadership is from the bottom up. We are here to lead, to serve, to show you how, so that you can be that. Servants is what a leader is. A servant to lift you up higher, to, we use the word, edify you, that you be more like Christ. That's our job. As that job comes our way, our job is to be examples of how to do it. Of how to do it. Prayer is not omitted from our job description. Matter of fact, it's essential to it. If the pastor is telling you to walk by faith, what, guess what the pastor should be doing? Walking by faith. If the pastor says you need to pray, guess what the pastor should be doing? Praying. You see? This is a very important, and matter of fact, very convicting little verse right here in front of me. I'm yelling at myself. It says to call the elders so they may pray over you. And I say, wow, wow. Is that what we expect of our elders? And is that what our elders are doing? Is that what we're called to do? In the context, it should be a fervent, effectual prayer. In the context, it should be a prayer offered up by faith or in faith. Those are the things that are standing before me. And I look at these and I say, wow, I'm not worried about this oil thing or anything else. This is my first thing. This is where I start. What kind of prayer is it? Is it a prayer of faith? Is it a prayer of faith? Let's go a little deeper. You ready? I've said this quote many times for you in the last couple of times you've been here. Living faith is not the same as partial faith. 
For the measure we know him is related to the measure we trust him. And the measure we trust him is related to the measure we pray to him. And the measure we glorify him is reflected in the measure we depend upon him. But that's expected of all of us. But it's especially expected of the leaders among us. It's expected of our leadership, too. Because when we get to verse number 14, I can't help but notice that. It it addresses me. It addresses me. I know we see the oil and all that other, and we're curious about that. What kind of oil? How does it work? Can we substitute for it? Is there something else? Does prayer work without it? You ever have those questions? I'll just say this for starters. There's nothing magical in this verse. There's nothing magical in this verse. There is no formula in this verse for success. There's no good luck charm attached to it. There's no superstition here. All right? There's none in this verse. That would be contrary to God's word. (laughs) So I know it's not there. And many commentators have said, well, it may be this or it might be that and it may mean this. To understand it, we do have to step into the first century a little bit to get a clue of what they're talking about. But I, I intend purposely to be careful about the essential thing in this passage. The prayer. The prayer that, as verse 15 says, ought to be offered in faith. In faith. Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He must sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him. Hmm. What does that mean? We have to call a special meeting? Do we go to where they are? Does it take one elder or two elders or... The whole bunch to make it work. Don't we have questions? I love the way we ask our questions, and maybe I'm asking them for you, maybe I've made them all up. But here's the funny thing about it. We're always looking for the techniques to make this work. As if, give me a checklist, and I'll check it off, and then God will answer my prayer. I don't see it very complicated to tell the truth. Call for the elders. Do you know what that said? Whose responsibility is it to inform the elders? The one who's sick. All right, I've been a pastor for 30 years now. Can I say something? How many times I have heard... Oh, so-and-so was in the hospital last week. But they're home now. And I thought, huh, why didn't they call me? I think that's kind of fun. I don't know what you call it. But it's interesting to me. It's not that I need you to call me because you have a hangnail. All right? Or something like that. But the issue is calling. Why? So the pastor knows. So the church can be told, I don't want the church to know. I don't want the pastor to know. It's a private thing. I'm not going to tell him. 
I don't want to be a bother to him. I, I, I don't want him to worry about me. I, I don't want him to come all the way out here and see me. I, I don't. How many times do we say I don't in the sentences that we come up with? Because we won't call. We won't call. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're walking together in a life of faith. We are here to help each other out along that path, right? We're to encourage and build one another's faith in trusting the Lord in dependence. How many of us consider that a sport for one individual? How many of us look at it like, I need my brothers and sisters in Christ because I've got an issue that he's prayed for? doesn't mean that I have to call everybody in the church. It's just I care. And I care if you're hurting. And I care if you're sick. And I'd like to know so I could pray for you. Because that's what I'm called to do. And I can't do my job without your job. Can I? Isn't that a funny thing about the body of Christ? One part can't operate by itself. And I cannot tell the foot, I don't need you. <laughs> That would be kind of a strange thing for the eyeball trying to get around without the feet to move it. You can't tell one part of the body, I don't need you, or another part, I don't need you. Well, when it comes to prayer, I need you. I need you. Because it says, you're, whoever you are who's sick, are to call the elders so they can pray. If that's our job, then you know your job, right? That's all part of the passage. It goes together. That's the way God wanted it to be. He wanted a family. He wants a family that will pray together. You know what's great about that? When you get better, we have rejoicing we could do together. Right? That's a wonderful outcome of all these things. We need to pray. And then to pray, we need to be... Uh, conversant in that. Call the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him. Call them. So much to this is important, to live by faith. You call. That's asking for the elders to come. That's a step of faith. You're following God's instructions. That's a step of faith. The elders to come, that's a step of faith. The elders to pray, that's a step of faith. We all pray by faith. Yes, we're supposed to offer it in faith. We look forward to what the Lord can do. And what can the Lord do, by the way? Anything He wants. Can He heal? Yes, He can. Can He give grace to those who don't get healing? Yes. Is He right in either case? Yes. Is he good in either case? Yes, he is. That's faith. To trust his character. Whatever he does is good. You know, that's not far from this passage either. Did you notice it in James, James chapter number 1? I want to show you something. Because I don't want it to get far from my thoughts or your thoughts. Go down to verse number 17.
every good thing given and every perfect gift is from where? Above. And who specifically? Coming down from the Father of lights, and then notice his character is mentioned. With whom there is no variation or shifting of shadow. What does that mean? He's the same today as he was yesterday. His goodness never diminishes. His plan is not altered. It's not confused. It's not thwarted. He's not looking at your life today and saying, I think we better start plan B today. That's not the way he operates. When we say we trust him, we trust that he is who he is, and that he's good, and he's great, and he's in charge. And whatever it's going to be is perfect, folks. It's going to be perfect. Can we trust him? With patience, and patience, and a strong heart, and we stop complaining. That's not just a lesson for the whole church. That's a lesson for us leaders, too. Because here we're called to pray. We're to lead the church in prayer. We're to be an example of prayer. Living by faith is called for all of us. We know that. Praying by faith is for all of us. We know that. But the particular example of those who live by faith and pray by faith is in the leadership. They're to exhibit that. You see, they set the course. It's so important. That does not excuse the average believer in the church, if we want to call them that. It doesn't excuse them of living by faith. It does not excuse them of praying by faith. You can't excuse your lack of faith or your lack of prayer on leadership who doesn't do it. Don't, don't stand before the throne and say, well... Elder Joe never prayed, so why should I? That won't fly in in that day either. Because God calls us all to pray. And to trust Him. To walk by His ways. We know that too. But the case is rather clear, I think. Wherever leadership goes, the church tends to follow. Have you ever noticed that? There's a picture of that in Scripture. It's a picture of shepherd and sheep. Where do you find the shepherd? In front of the sheep. Doesn't do any good to be behind them, because then they go wherever they want. You get up before them and you lead them where they need to go. That's the role of the leaders of the church, to set the example. Now I'll tell you some things I've learned over the years. There was one particular church called me once and they said, um, They were looking for a pastor at the time, and they said, well, we want to tell you a little bit about our church. I said, well, okay. Um, They said, we're a little different. That's always a flag for me. It's yellow usually, but sometimes red, but it's there. They said, we're a little different. I said, okay, what's that? They said, well, it's like this. Um, 90% of our church is is made up of divorcees. I said, 90%? They said, yeah. I said, that's a large number for a church. He said, yeah. Now, our pastor was too. And I said, oh, I think I see accommodation here. Because I've seen this so many times. In one place, I've noticed a leader of an organization, and everybody in the organization had the same haircut. 
Have you ever noticed that too? I said, that's interesting to me. Leadership has a way of influencing followership. Now, if we're going to influence people, let's do it in the positive way. If we're going to influence people in faith, let's live by faith. If we're going to lead people in prayer, let's pray by faith. And you say, well, that's just for the elders. No, it's not. It's for all of us who are mature in Christ. Because somebody is following you. Somebody is learning from you. You're an example, too. We're all examples. And if nothing else, our world desperately needs an example of somebody who's walking by faith. Why can't it be us? Why can't it be us who learns to pray by faith? Who trusts the Lord with all our heart? Who says, I've got a problem. I'm going to call my elders to pray with me. Because I need that support in the midst of this. A lot of attention in this. And you know what? I've completely run out of time. But we have a dinner downstairs, so maybe it doesn't matter. Or maybe it does. When you get hungry, it's hard to hear, isn't it? I do know that, too. You know what? I promised we're going to come back to this because that's the nature of what we're doing. Little piece at a time. Little piece at a time. But I think this is going to need to first settle a little bit. What do you think? We are called to pray. Leadership is called to pray. We need to put that as a priority in our ministry. Prayer. It shows our dependence upon God. Heavenly Father, you have been very gracious to us to allow us room to grow. We have made mistakes over the past. We have learned some good things too. We have at times really excelled. Sometimes in the days of challenges, we've really excelled. Sometimes on the average day, we haven't. Sometimes we've been forgetful. Sometimes we have lost sight of our responsibility. Sometimes we have not kept our relationship up with you as we should. But we haven't uh, considered the relationship we have with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we forgot But we purposely set ourselves out on an island to do it our own way. But Lord, you see all these things. You know all the dynamics of our hearts and our lives. You know the challenges that we face. You know what's prepared for us for today and for tomorrow and for this week and for this month and for this year. You know all these things. And we are not talking to the God who is learning what is happening, but the God who sees and knows. And our faith is tied to you. We do pray that it might be strengthened. And that our prayers reflect that. As we learn to trust you more, may we pray in that light. And pray earnestly for one another. Teach us this, Lord, and especially teach me that. As leader, as one who should set an example, show us how we must do this. For your honor, Lord, and your glory, and for the good of our church and the folks in our church, that we all become more like Christ and learn how to pray. Thank you, Lord, for being so good to us. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen.